How can we live radically inclusive lives without compromising our beliefs or the truth of the gospel? Providing radical kindness, perhaps, in an us versus them world. Well, Terry Christ is here and joins Steve to help us love Samaritans. It's Dawn and Steve in the morning. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation with Terry for a little bit now because I do think we see a very divided country. I think we see a lot of hostility, and I think we saw a lot of that because of the past election cycle, the COVID uh, debates that were going on right there. We're, you know, just built our echo chambers even a little bit bigger and louder than they were before. And we recognize the fact, though, that we're called to unity in the body of Christ. And it seems like it may be more divided than it has ever been. So how do we engage well? So Terry, I appreciate you coming in and helping us have this conversation this morning. Thank you. It is an honor to be with you early this cold morning in Nashville. Uh, yeah, home for you is Phoenix. So Phoenix. I would imagine this is pretty cold for you. We've it was had some weather. freezing yesterday in Phoenix. It was 62 degrees. <laughs> well, we're going to get there here, but uh, you're probably going to leave before we actually get all the way up to the, the warmth that I am so glad is finally coming our way here. Uh, but, you know, as we as we look at the division in, that we see in culture and in our country, obviously you see it too, uh, enough that you're like, man, I need to address this. Why is this a topic you think it's important for the church and the Christian community to be talking about? I think it's a very important topic for me for a couple of reasons. Fundamentally, I'm a pastor. I've written a book, and I've been engaged in academic life for a couple of decades, but essentially, I'm a pastor. I want to see people live well. I want to see them love well. I want to see them reach their neighbors with the gospel, and I want the church to ever be mindful of this beautiful opportunity and responsibility that we have to represent the Savior accurately. So the issue of division and polarization plays into that as the, the antithesis of that. I would suggest that I don't know if we are more divided than what we've ever been. I kind of go back and forth on that. In yeah. one interview, I'm, you know, I land on the spot that we're the most divided we've ever been. And then I go back and look at the Bible and realize that if you take the presence of sin out of the Bible, you have a very thin Bible. Right, yeah. Like two chapters. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's it. So we hit the ground united, and we started running, and we're divided. We go from man and woman being created and being described as very good to by Genesis 6 and verse 5 comes along. We have every evil imagination in our heart. So we descended pretty quickly. Um I think what does make this day different is that we are hyper aware of the divisions that exist in the world around us. Uh, they are consistently in our face. We are consistently navigating them. And I think that in our day, division is being used as a weapon to accomplish something as opposed to uh, an opposition that we need to address. All right, to explain what you mean by that. It's being used as a weapon to accomplish what? Yeah, I think, well, historically, division has been used to build things, to divide, to conquer, but that hasn't been the norm. And most people look at it and realize division's not a good thing. But today, division's being used to rally people to causes, being used in for political purposes. Uh, churches, unfortunately, are using division as an instrument to build with, as opposed to using unity. So we seem to be multiplying through division 
addition rather than growing through addition. And this is a different thing in today's world. We have merchandise division. We've mm-hmm. made it into something that we, we, not me and you, but many people look at as being a virtue and not being a vice. And I think that's really unhealthy because when we see division as being something we use for our own intent and purpose, it then ends up being used in a marriage. We end up using it uh, in a church. We end up using it to get our own way, to seek, to dominate, to divide, devour, but to get our own way. Hmm. Wow. All right. So as you see this playing out in churches and marriages and families, I think we can probably all think of different scenarios in our own lives where we have watched hostility and division actually create this disunity uh, amongst some of the relationships that we should really be caring a lot, a lot about. And so how do you see what's happening in culture and the division that we see being broadcast on our television screens, our, our computers, our phones, all of that trickle down into the more intimate relationships of church dynamics and family. I think in large part, the church seems to be borrowing a playbook from the corporate world and the political world. And so we're replicating and modeling within our sacred structures, within our communities, so many of the values that we see there. And of course, as the church goes, so goes the family. As the family goes, so goes the church. There's a symbiotic relationship between the two that whatever exists in a spiritual community is also going to be present, presumably within a family. So there's that. When I look at the bigger, broader picture, I look at it through the lens of tribes and tribalism. Uh, We, by nature, are tribal people. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being tribal in the best sense. A tribe is simply a group of people who have a common affinity. And whether your group is your alma mater, whether it's your uh, boys and girls club basketball team, whether it's your sports franchise, we all live in a world where we have tribes. We have sports tribes and, you know, all sorts of tribes. There's a difference between tribes and tribalism. The ism is when one tribe seeks to eradicate the other, seeks to eliminate the other, so it becomes the only existent tribe. Jesus came from a tribe. Israel was comprised of tribes. Uh, Our Savior comes from the tribe of Judah. Uh, Nothing wrong with tribes, but if you take Israel, for example, you have all this beautiful diversity in Israel. In tribes. Some of the tribes were coastal tribes, and they were on the trade routes, and they were a little more sophisticated, and others were the hillbilly cousins who lived deep, deep, deep up in the mountains and didn't have access to, you know, some of the thoughts that were floating through of the day or the resources. The tribes are a beautiful thing. God loves diversity. God created diversity. God created us all wonderfully and uniquely to interact with each other and to bring the best to each other to glorify him. But when we see each other as a threat, then the other is to be eliminated to our own self-protection. And that's what gets dangerous. And that's what we see in the world around us today. We see it with churches. We see it with politics. And we see it in social media. We see it in a thousand different ways. Yeah. And you point that out and talk about that in the book. 
Loving Samaritans, Radical Kindness in an Us versus Them World. Talking with uh, Pastor Terry Chris this morning, and we're going to continue the conversation throughout the hour. Maybe you've got a question or comment, feel free to text in 800-555-7898. The Elephant in the Room coming up next on Moody Radio. You know, if we're going to uh, kind of break the chill, all I have to do is say Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, left, right, blue, red. And you probably have some sort of visceral reaction (laughs) with that right there. I know that uh, politics is one of those things that is so hot button and can be so divisive. And uh, we're joined in the studio this hour by Pastor Terry Christ, author of Loving Samaritans, Radical Kindness in an Us Versus Them World. And in an Us Versus Them world today, Terry, I don't know that anything is much more divisive than the topic of politics. And we've got politics dominating our news cycle. We have an election coming up before too long here. It is the elephant in the room. How do we engage in this conversation? Well, especially within the the body of Christ, when you have Christians who can disagree on politics. I think we have to have uh, we have to find a place of higher agreement than at the level of politics. And I think we have that in Christ. I think as long as we uh, keep our lives centered on Jesus uh, as the object of our worship and affection and devotion and the uh, intent of our life, the one who positions us on mission so that all of life is lived for him, then uh, it becomes more manageable. But when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we look to uh, worldly solutions. We look to human institutions. We look to others to produce the longings of our own hearts. Uh, We end up dividing. And the danger in division is that when it's untreated, it leads to things like dehumanization. And uh, it leads to the eradication, the obliteration of peoples. So this is one reason why that I'm so passionate against division. Division doesn't end with us just being divided. Division is, is, is a dark, I'll say demonic spirit that can start off uh, in, in one level and rapidly metastasize and become something so much worse. We see it come into churches and churches then are completely closed down. We see it come into families and families then don't gather for Thanksgiving for 20 years. So I think we have to be ruthless on division. And I think we see that through the New Testament. Yeah, I think as Paul is uh, clearly leading us to be more faithful followers of Jesus, he consistently addresses the issue of disunity. And it may not have been that they were divided over politics, because I'm not sure that you know they saw life and political life through the same lens and framework that we do. But uh, disunity and division is dangerous in any form. And in politics, it seems to be amplified because we care deeply about the issues sure. that are represented on both sides. So with such a a deep care about these issues, we're going to kind of play this out a little bit here because we can talk about principle. And I think a lot of us can look at the principle of what you just said and say, oh, Terry, you're right. I agree with you 100% on that. And then we get together at a family birthday party or a holiday or something like that. And, uh, you know, uncle so-and-so says something provocative, they take a stand on something that we strongly disagree with, and we can back our opinion up based on the Bible, and you're like, oh, Uncle Uncle John, that, that's wrong because, and we can, next thing you know, we're divided, we're devolving, and that fracturing you're talking about potentially happens. So when somebody 
throws that uh, potentially divisive thing out there, how do we respond well to that? Do you just let it go? Let them think that we're okay? Well, I, I think it starts with something much deeper than that, and it starts with us being very, very careful and mindful of cultivating a healthy soul. A healthy soul is a uh, intreatable soul, a non-anxious presence, a soul that recognizes that my ego is not primary, that if one rejects my viewpoint, they haven't obliterated my personhood. And so from the basis of a healthy soul, we can engage with people, realizing that uh, there's an ebb and flow to conversations and ideas are accepted and rejected in a moment that are later than accepted. And conversations take time and truth isn't planted and comes doesn't is rarely planted and comes to fruition overnight. So I think we have to kind of push back from the heated rhetoric of the moment and ask some fundamental questions. What am I trying to win here? Maybe we yeah. need to redefine winning. Are we trying to win arguments or are we trying to win people to Jesus? And maybe you can do both, but not often. More often than not, you'll win one and lose the other. I want to play the long-term game. I want to play the game where that I am uh, rooted and grounded in convictions that are timeless. These principles that we read in Scripture are not up for reinterpretation. Yeah. They are timeless and timely. And at the very same time, uh, I'm also mindful of the fact that what offends people more often is not the truth, but the tone in which the truth is presented. Paul makes this statement in the uh, epistles. He says, you can preach Christ in contention. So you can have the right message and the wrong spirit. And when you have the right message and the wrong spirit, you repel people, you rebuff yeah. them instead of drawing them in. Uh, I've been privileged in Arizona to serve four governors uh, at the state level. I've led task forces. I am currently seated on a couple of state councils, two Republicans and two Democrats. Uh, there are things I disagree on both sides, you know, and yet I found a way to connect uh, across the aisle for the sake of the greater good of our community. And that's something I have to consistently remind myself that, you know, I could press a point and have a conversation, win an argument here possibly, but is that the long game? Is that where real genuine fruit is born? And I think if we look at it slightly different, certainly shouldn't change our convictions, but should change our approach toward one another. Terry Christ uh, joining us in studio here. Loving Samaritans, the name of his book, Radical Kindness in an Us Versus Them World. And we're going to continue the conversation with Terry coming up in just a few moments. As we have this conversation, we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus had that kind of demonstrates that for us. That's on the way. You know, the world that is so often divided, how can we love well? And love in a way in which unity is something that we like, yeah, I, I want that. Well, radical kindness in an us-versus-them world is one way that, you know, we can show that love of Jesus and love Samaritans well. And uh, Pastor Terry Christ joining us to talk about loving Samaritans. So let's talk about Jesus loving Samaritans. First story that pops into mind for most of us probably is the Samaritan woman at the well. And you take a look at that account of Scripture in your book, Loving Samaritans. As you look at the way Jesus interacted with someone different from than him and uh, a, a culture in which would have said Jews and Samaritans are, you know, uh, opposed from each other. There, there's division there. 
What do we learn from the way Jesus engaged that we can begin to put into our practice today? Well, you put it well. It is one of the most unlikely conversations that we see playing out in the Gospels. And that's saying a lot because Jesus had some unusual conversations. I think what makes this remarkable is that, first of all, it's being had in a place that no righteous Jew would naturally be found in, in Samaria. Uh, It's being had between uh, Jesus, a male rabbi, and a female Samaritan. Uh, For a hundred different reasons, this conversation should have never taken place, and yet it ends up becoming the longest recorded conversation in the Scripture. Mm. That says a lot to me. Yeah. Because we have these little snippets of conversations that Jesus has all through the Gospels. But there's something about this particular conversation that John wants us to sit with. He wants us to let it breathe, to let it speak to us, to, to mine it and ask some really difficult questions about it. And what I see in the conversation is that Jesus has this conversation concerning some of the most provocative issues of the times. You know, when I was growing up, I was told there are certain things you don't talk about in polite company. Right. We don't talk about politics. Or religion. We don't talk about religion. I was really hard as a pastor's kid because that's all I had in my (laughs) wheelhouse. And uh, but Jesus goes there. He has a conversation concerning her ethnic identity, identity, race, if you will. Uh, There's a political overtone to it. Uh, He ends up talking about sexuality toward the end of it when he calls for her to bring her husband. I mean, he's dealing with the issues. It would be like sitting down with someone today and talking about race and immigration and the legalization of marijuana. I mean, we wouldn't do that. That's it. But the amazing thing about it is that he held this conversation in such a way that it didn't repel her. Hmm. But instead... It drew her into the heart of God. Yeah. It, it, it awakened a curiosity within her. And this is what I'm contending for. This is what I'd love to see happen in the lives of the people that I pastor and the churches that I am privileged to serve and speak into across the nation. What if we were able to inspire curiosity in people once again? I think people so oftentimes have a caricature of Christianity and they feel as if they know us and maybe they do know us based upon some of our behaviors. But what if we could show them the Jesus within us, this one who is a master listener, this one who is empathic and kind and compassionate, is non anxious and is non-threatened by the questions that may be presented to him, is able to sit in broken places and have conversations with people that lead to their healing. And of course, the well, the well itself is a scene of great tragedy. It had been a scene where Abraham had an encounter with God and, and Jacob had uh, come along following his reconciliation with Esau, but it was also the place where Jacob's daughter was raped. And a horrific story plays out concerning Shechem there in the Old Testament. So if you think of the site itself, it's a place of great pain, of great suffering, of of unresolved tension and drama. And Jesus chooses it to sit down. And I think there's a message there. Number one, Jesus wants to come sit with us. 
whether you're driving your car this morning on your way to work feeling lonely feeling empty feeling overwhelmed by the issues of life or perhaps you're at home and your kids have just gone off to school and you're sitting there thinking about the day ahead jesus wants to come sit with us in our pain in our trauma in our drama in our confusion and he's willing to have a conversation with us that moves us to healing this starts his love affair with the Samaritans and all through. In fact, from this basis on, not only does this woman come to see him as the Messiah and receive the living water, but she goes back to her village. The villagers come out and encounter Jesus. Jesus goes to the village and spends two days. And we don't even know what took place then. Sure. I've often yep. wondered, is that where he heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Mm-hmm. Or is that where he conceived of it? Is that where the inspiration was born? We don't know what happened there, but this begins his long-term love affair with the Samaritans, and it stays with him through the whole of his ministry right up until his ascension. Wow. In his final moments in being ascended, he says to the disciples, go to Jerusalem, Judea. And by the way, don't forget my friends, the Samaritans. Yeah. So good. Terry Crist with us. He has uh, written the book, Loving Samaritans, as we talk about radical kindness in an us-versus-them world. And we're going to pick back up with this conversation coming up in just a few moments. If you want to uh, weigh in, 800-555-7898 to text in. And we're talking with Terry Crist this hour. He's a pastor, author. He's written the book about loving Samaritans, radical kindness in an us-versus-them world. And in a culture where we are so divisive on hot-button topics, uh, we can look at the story or the gospel account of Jesus and John as he deals with the woman at the well in Samaria. And Terry, you said one of the things that we learn from Jesus is that he chooses to go to the uncomfortable place and sit. And the has sits there, has the unexpected conversation with the Samaritan woman there. So we need to learn to sit with him in that space. What else do we learn from Jesus? I think Jesus is always willing to sit with us. And I think it's important for us to be mindful of the fact that we don't find Jesus. He finds us. He's never been lost. We're the ones that have been lost. And for that matter, we don't take Jesus anywhere. He's already there. We just join him in the work he's doing there. So I love this, that he's always the initiator. It's his love, his grace, his kindness that seeks us out in our brokenness. And all we can really do is surrender. All we can really do is say, Lord, here I am. I need you. And the scripture tells us those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, Some of the things I love about this interaction is that Jesus sees the woman as an individual. And I think that's really important for those of us that live big and full lives. And, you know, we encounter a number of people on a daily basis or we scroll social media one screen after another. And uh, we tend to make assumptions about people without having conversations with them about who they are and what they do. And it's just so easy to see people in a way that is monolithic in a way that is collective and nationalistic and not personal and individual. We see them as groups and not as persons. But Jesus saw every single individual through the lens of their personhood. Even in their brokenness, their sinful and shameful state, he saw the residue of eternity in them, that fundamentally they are image bearers. And I often wonder what could happen in our lives if we just kind of took all the labels off and came back 
back to this one single fundamental denominator. We are all created in the image of God. And when you come back to that, you begin to realize that all people are worthy of respect. All people are worthy of being heard. All people are worthy of hearing the truth without insult, and all people are worthy of unconditional love. And just those things alone, I think, would reorient the church and position us to be able to reach people far from God in a way that is far more effective, perhaps, than it has been. Mm. Love that. Just thinking about that person that we're having that conversation with as an image bearer of Christ can change the tone of the conversation so, so quickly and so well. I think so effectively. And as we begin to think along those lines, that's probably going to change both our tone and maybe our vocabulary, our language. Have you seen this kind of play out in that way? Yes, absolutely. I think it also begins with the idea that the Scripture says Jesus had to go to Samaria. It wasn't the convenient route to get back up to the Galilee from the Judea, but he had to go there, which indicates to me he was led by the Spirit. And what if each of us lived our days just saying, Lord, would you lead me by your Spirit? Would you lead me to that woman at the well, to that guy standing by a gas station pump, to that child that's desperately in need of love and affirmation and encouragement and the message of Jesus? I think in being led by the Spirit, we can be positioned for some very fruitful gospel-centered conversations. And then when we get into them, uh, to be curious about people. The power of curiosity can't be overstated. You know, having conversations and then asking that second and that third question and and just really getting into the, the deep listening that is the fruit of sitting with people over any length of time. I'm a real advocate for the idea of withness not just witness. I want to share my faith and do. I'm active in sharing my faith, and I think every Christian should share the message of Jesus. But sometimes witness precedes witness, and sometimes people can't hear our witness because our witness has been missing. Ours is a show-and-tell gospel, and the telling is difficult when the showing is absent. So I love the idea of going into the same coffee shop each day, I love the idea of shopping at the same grocery store consistently, trying to choose the same checkout line, trying to, you know, strategically, accidentally bump into the same people over and over again. I'm watching them. I know that sounds a little creepy, but uh, (laughs) it's not. It's just observing them. And then over time, you know, you have your initial conversation with them and they often feel like, don't I know you already? I've seen you here. And those things become the fertile ground for the seeds of the gospel to be sown. So much good for us to think about from this conversation this hour. I encourage you to go check out the book as well, Loving Samaritans, Radical Kindness in an Us versus Them World.